You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Before they were live, an ongoing monthly and extremely nerdy conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, looking for that miraculous intersection of art, criticism, and fandom, trying to find the way these films shape us and our imaginations. Hopefully along the way, we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Get your party pants on, because today we're dancing through the 60th Disney film, 2021's Encanto. It's a musical set in South America. So the question only this podcast is willing and prepared to discuss is how it compares to Saludos Amigos and Tres Caballeros. That's right. It took 60 films, but are watching them all. Even the ones no one but Chris Gares likes has finally paid off. Joining me as always, a man who takes what he's handed and breaks what's demanded, Michael Farmer. Hello, Josh. Gertz likes Saludos Amigos or Three Caballeros? I can't remember which one, but yeah, he uh, back when both of us were on Twitter, uh, he and I got a, uh, into a conversation about it. Uh, back at the time of the recording of, of that, um, of, of one of those, <laughs> and I can't even remember which one it was now. But wow. yeah, I remember having that interaction with him. I, I mean, I don't know if I mentioned this at the time. The best thing to come out of either one of those movies was the uh, Walt and El Grupo documentary where they all go down to South America. And it talks about the process of making those movies much better than the movies themselves. Yeah, I think uh, during one of those films, we pretty much just talked about Walt and El Grupo and didn't really talk about the movie, if I remember our podcast correctly. <laughs> Saudas Amigas in particular is one of the, or I'm sorry, uh, Three Caballeros in particular is one of the most baffling movies ever made. <laughs> Yeah. Sonos Amigos is is fine, I guess, but Three Caballeros, there's that weird like acid scene with with uh, Dora Luce singing mm-hmm. "You Belong to My Heart." Anyway, I I, uh, I, <laughs> I don't want to get away from talking about the movie we're actually supposed to talk about uh, in Canto, which uh, I think I mentioned several times. I don't like as much as everybody else, but I like a damn sight better than Sonos Amigos and Three Caballeros. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I was wondering if your opinion changed on watching it again this time or if you're still in the uh, not for me camp. So. I, I, I don't dislike it exactly. I find it kind of a frustrating movie thematically. And in, in that sense, it it reminds me of Zootopia. I don't I don't have the deep like moral issue that I had with Zootopia, but I it, it it's a it's another example of a movie that's really well put together and appealing in a lot of ways. And the message this time, rather than finding morally offensive, I just find kind of lame. Mm. Um, but I did like it better this time than I did uh, than I did the last time. Yeah. Well, let's jump in right there because I think it's a good place to start. Is with that because I actually I'm surprised that this is made by the same people who made Zootopia. It is, you know, it's the same directors, um, uh, or at least one of them is. Is that right? That both of them are directors of zootopia oh i could be wrong Uh, jared bush was for sure and uh yep and and howard yes yeah they both worked on it yeah that's right okay i just want to make get my facts straight here so yeah um because i felt like this movie and (laughs) i felt this like this movie seems really catholic in some ways interesting Um, uh, there is a priest yeah but like from the guys who made zootopia it's like how how could that happen but like didn't uh, so i don't know you're you're the uh, resident Catholic on the podcast, so you can tell me like I'm 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 blowing smoke or whatever. But um, like, didn't the uh, the getting the the magical thing have kind of a first communion feel to you? 
like like they're about that age and they're dressed up and stuff you know like i don't know it just to me it like it, it felt a that, little hadn't, like that hadn't occurred to me but i like that i think that i think there is something to that and of course that would be such an important like milestone for hispanic children children in colombia that mm-hmm. like even if they weren't trying to make some sort of religious allegory even if they were just gonna you know do, do it as a kind of slice of life thing it makes it makes sense yeah wow i can't believe i missed that and then uh the i don't know just the the candle like i just i mean i know candles are not specifically catholic <laughs> but, right, right. Like, but but there is something about like the you know this candle that the you know um i don't know it it it, it represents you know the 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 magic of the household you know but like there's that i don't know there's a way in which you know the the candles light um i don't i don't know there was something symbolic they were trying to do there you know i don't know it just it felt a little like catholic to me and then there's um i i guess this is less catholic and more baptist but there's like there seems to be kind of a baptism at the end you know they walk out into the river you know to, to mm-hmm. get um which i guess that's more just generally like I said, more Baptist than Catholic, but um, yeah, as you said, there is a, there is a Catholic church in the mo- movie. There's a, there's a Catholic priest. So I, I don't know. There was just the, this kind of like feel to me. Um, but thematically, I agree with you. Um, I would say the fatal flaw with it is, you know, in Christianity, Catholicism, you know, any, any of that, you know, it's all, it's all based on um, we love because he first loved us, right? And we we forgive because Christ forgave um, and how much we've been forgiven. It's not what this movie seems to be, which is, oh, we're all broken, so it's okay <laughs> that we're all broken, you know? Like, this is a very, very grace-filled movie, which I appreciate. I mm-hmm. really like the amount of grace in this movie, um, but the grace has no resting point, you know, or or something that it rests on. It, it feels like a movie, and I, I felt the same way about Turning Red, which I, I think Turning Red has, a lot, has an awful lot in common with Encanto. Have you seen that, the Pixar movie Turning I, Red? Yeah, I've not yet. I've not seen it. Um, it, it, it substitutes an ethical vision or a religious vision, I guess. But I mean, I don't, I don't know that very many of these movies really have a religious vision as such. Um, it substitutes an ethical vision for like a therapeutic vision. And so, so much of the movie is it's just like chock full of therapeutic language, sometimes made literal, like the, the song, um, is it the, what's what it's pressure. What's the, what's the first, what's the word before pressure in that song? Surface pressure. Yeah. Surface pressure. I can think of it was sudden and I knew that wasn't right. Um, surface pressure, like the, the, the visuals for that and the lyrics for that are basically just a bunch of therapy cliches made literal because they can do that because the character is super strong and has to carry a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I, I find it one of the most aggravating aspects of living in 2023. And there's so many aggravating aspects of living in 2023, (laughs) but I find one of the, one of the most aggravating is the way that everybody, everybody speaks in therapy cliches. And this movie is so full of them that it just, it just wears me down after a while. And it's a shame because the first 10 minutes of this movie, when I felt the first time I felt this way, when I saw it again, I was like, why did I dislike this movie? The first 10 minutes are so full of joy and it's so imaginative. Visually, the movie is amazing. It's got a lot of like interesting shots. There's lots of colors. It's like they have so much imagination for the visual part of this movie. But when it comes to ethics, all they've got are like the the most tired therapeutic cliches of our time. And I, I, that's what I find frustrating about it. I don't hate it, though. I mean, like it's a it's a it's a good movie in in almost every way. And unlike um, and unlike Zootopia, I don't have a like I said a moral problem with it. I just find it kind of shallow, ultimately. Yeah, and that that's a really strong critique, Michael. And it's it's one that I I do agree with. I feel like um, we talked about this therapeutic language a couple times already, and I feel like in this movie it's it's good enough that I don't, I don't, I, I don't see all the cliches, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, I, I recognize when you're talking about it, like how blatantly obvious they are. But for me, I just, I get swept up in it somehow. Um, you know, uh, there's a moment in this movie where the, uh, the, the, um, 
the younger cousin, I forget his name now, um, because Camilla? I always, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Camilla's the shapeshifter. Yeah. Uh, what is the, I, I can't remember his name either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I always forget the names on these shows and I, I always plan to have them like in front of me and then, then fail to do that. And but Antonio. anyway, uh, yeah, Antonio, um, you know, they walk into, to his new room and the little girl exclaims, it's bigger on the inside. And I feel like that's a good, good, um, for this movie, for me, for this movie, it's it's bigger on the inside. Like there's there's something like it doesn't all hold together perfectly. There is some plot things that, that are obnoxious. There is like what you're saying, like there is a lot of cliche, but somehow it's still like um, it's 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 moving enough that it, it moves you know, like like emotionally moving enough that um, I, I hold it in high regard. I re- like this this movie I give. You know, I, we don't we don't have any sort of we don't give thumbs up like Ebert or whatever. But like this one's good, you know. This one's in my one of my top, probably in the top tier for me. And 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 I I definitely agree that it's moving. And like I said, it's it's really wildly imaginative in terms of how it uh, how it works. You know, like the the rules of the universe and all that stuff are very very interesting. And it's a beautiful movie and. It's just that that one thing just sticks in my craw so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's a strong critique and I think it's a fair critique. It's just not one that like I feel when I'm watching it, you know, like I get I think I get so caught up in like because I think a lot of those um, like that therapeutic stuff comes through in the music. And for me, the music is just so good. Like this has got to be one of the top soundtracks um, really yes because for me and i understand if, if you can't get past the cliches and like i understand why it wouldn't be but like i just really enjoy like i was trying to think through like okay what are the uh i don't want to give anything away in case we discuss this in our um you know wrap-up episode like what are the strongest soundtracks in the disney canon and i um there's there are other ones that I think have better songs, but like as a collection, like there is not a song in here that I'm kind of like, eh, whereas in, in most other like really strong musicals, there's at least one song where I'm kind of like, okay, you know, pass. <laughs> See, that, that's, that's interesting. Cause I, I like, I, I love two songs here. Um, and there's one song that I think is fine. And then there's two songs I don't like. Okay. So you don't like surface pressure. I don't like surface pressure. I think and part of it is I don't like it as a song. Part of it is I, I don't think the Jessica Darrow performance in in song or in speech is very good in this movie. I think she's she's definitely the weakest of the voice actors, uh, which is saying something because Wilmer Valderrama is in this movie. <laughs> See, you throw stuff out there like that. I'm just like, I don't really know. <laughs> oh, he was Fez from that 70s show. Okay. I Which I mean, to be fair, is like the third most annoying person on that '70s show. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I, no, I don't like surface pressure. Okay, um, I'm trying to guess here because uh, it's fun to guess. Um, let's see. Uh, all of you. <laughs> is that the other one? Oh, I don't even remember that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's, that's the, the one at the very end. Yeah, that's the one at the very end. I don't that that has left my mind. The, okay. The, the the other one. Well, you know, I'll let you guess. That's fine. Yeah. Well, it's just kind of fun to do. Um, See how well you know me. Yeah, I think there's yeah. actually seven songs in this movie. Not yeah. There's five. The, yes, there's seven songs, and you said two you like. One two, is two I think are like world class. Like two are really really great top tier Disney songs. Okay. Uh, the Family Montreal. Oh yes. Okay. I got that one. All right. Now this one, I'm not sure, but I'm going to throw it because everybody loved this song. And I don't know if you're one who did or got annoyed by it. We don't talk about Bruno. I love it. Now I, okay. I want to be annoyed by it, but I find it's so like, it's so musically interesting. There's so many different pieces that all come together mm-hmm. so well in that song. It, it feels um, maybe more than any other song in the Disney canon, like a Broadway showstopper. Mm-hmm. Just because there's so much stuff going on in it, which I mean makes sense, right? Because it's Lin Manuel. You say his name, I can never say it. <laughs> Lin Manuel Miranda. Yeah, uh, Miranda. Um, I, so yeah, I I wanted to hate that song, but uh, I really really liked it. Oh man, yeah, that song is amazing. And, like it's so so good. You know, like um, uh, so much of like um my thinking about music was shaped by watching um 
Amadeus because I feel like um, they do such a good job of describing sounds and music and how stuff comes together in that in that movie. And, I don't know uh, what I expected the end of that sentence to be, but it wasn't <laughs> Amadeus. <laughs> I, I just I watched it at a uh, um, what what what's that called when it's like a, a an important time in your in your growing up and development. There's a word for that, but anyway, like. Um, yeah, I guess I just watched it at the right time that it like kind of shaped me in that way. But um, there's that scene in Amadeus where Mozart is describing the marriage of Figaro and uh-huh. uh, he's, you know, trying to convince the emperor to let him do it. And he talks about like um, it starts as a duet and then the maid starts talking and it becomes a trio and then the servant starts talking and it becomes a quartet and then it becomes a quintet and a sectet and a septet, you know, and uh, he's like, only music can do this. And in a play, if you have more than one person talking on top of each other, it's noise. But in a, in a, uh, in, in opera, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's harmony, you know, it's music. And so that's, that's the like, scene that comes into my head when Bruno comes on because it does like it starts as this duet and then it's a you know a trio and a quartet and it's it's so good oh man right right it just it just keeps adding elements and I mean the family magical does that to some extent as well yes yeah it does but it's different with Bruno <laughs> I don't you know I don't know why it's different with Bruno but it's it's a little different because I think in the family madrigal it's uh um it's still mostly only uh, Stephanie uh, Beatrice. Yeah, singing it, you know. And yeah, I mean, that's the true. Cast, the cast is there, but it's it's mostly all her. Whereas this, it's like, you know, each different person has their their own melody. Um, yeah. they're singing, and then they start singing them on top of each other. So well, it's, it's, I mean, and it's very Hamiltonian in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, although even in Hamilton, there's only a couple places where he layers it like that i think i mean maybe i'm maybe i'm not remembering i listened to that soundtrack a lot but i don't i don't i this seems like something a little different to me just the amount of layering um just feels a little different the the other one i don't like is what else can i do and and i don't dislike it i just i'd like i don't think there's anything there now the the sequence like the the what's going on on the screen during that Mm -hmm. scene is unbelievable maybe maybe the most impressive part of the movie with all the with all the flowers and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. um, the song itself doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, I can see that. That was the one I was guessing you might think was just fine. I wasn't. I didn't know that you would. Waiting for a miracle is the one I think is just fine. Okay. And that that's the one where the uh, where the therapy language starts to starts to creep in. Right. Yeah. Which, but I mean, Family Madrigal and We Don't Talk About Bruno are as, as good as anything you're going to hear in a Disney uh, Disney soundtrack. I'll, I'll agree with that. And and they sound very different from other Disney soundtracks because they sound um, they're so Latin, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Waiting on a Miracle, I feel like, is the one that, it, like you said, it's therapeutic instead of a prayer, as it should be. You know, like right. it feels like it should be a prayer, and. Um, there's actually, yeah, the, the um, oh, I forget what the lyric is now, but there's a moment in there where she says, um, I'm ready, come on, I'm ready, you know? And uh, when I sing it to myself, I replace that come on with Jesus. <laughs> 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 because it just feels like a prayer to me. Like, you know, I'm ready, I'm ready for your blessing, you know, like, uh, bless me now, like you've blessed me before, you know, like, I, I don't know, it feels like a real, a real prayer. And then it, it just falls short, you know? It's, well, yeah, I mean, the, the metaphysics of the movie are interesting, right? Because she's asking, she says, bless me now as you blessed us all those years ago when you gave us a miracle. And it's not clear who she's talking to, right? Because yeah. it's not clear where the miracle came from. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the hollowness. That's the hollow core at the center of this movie. That's That's frustrating, but also expected. You know, like it's, yeah. It's I'm trying to remember what Coco did with this, right? Because Coco... Coco is another movie that uses a lot, a lot, a lot of religious imagery. You mm-hmm. saw Coco, I assume. I, I didn't. I, I It's on my watch list, but I haven't actually watched it yet. It's good. <laughs> it's, it's good. And, it, it you know, it's it's the Mexican Day of the Dead, which is a, a, a Christian holiday uh, with some pagan influence, I think it's safe to say. And my recollection is they they 
they keep it religious without making it explicitly Christian. So there's all these like complicated metaphysical rules to this universe that are Mm -hmm. not exactly connected to Christianity. And so the movie still feels very specific without, without seeming Christian as such. And, and maybe, maybe I would like this movie more if it did something more like that instead of, um, instead of leaving it so vague. But on the other hand, I kind of like that there's no explanation for the miracle that, you know, they they could have ruined the movie, like really ruined the movie. If at the big reveal, they revealed that there was some sort of reason why the miracle came. And I, I don't, I don't know. I like, I like that. It's just like her grief was so strong that the, the fabric of the world changed. Mm -hmm. That's the way I read it. Yeah, well, I do think it was her grief, but it was like her grief combined with, and this is where there could be a little Christian imagery that, you know, seeping Her grief through combined with his sacrifice, yeah, right? Yeah, with his sacrifice, yeah, yeah exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. That's so, the, that's the, uh, the, what's that quote? There's that quote from, um, uh, what's, sorry, I'm, I'm losing it, but like, it's like he, the, it's like the irrepressibleness of, of Christianity, you know, like it's, it, it's, it's like so in our culture that it just, you know, it pops up, you know, so, self-sacrifice and grief and stuff like that, like being powerful things, suffering, being a powerful thing. It's like, that's, that's totally Christian stuff, but you know, it's so irrepressible that it just pops in. Right. Or, right. And I mean, you know, you and I would say the reason it the, the reason it keeps popping up is because it's true, right? It's it's something that's actually built into the fabric of the universe. Right. Yeah. Let me see if I can find that quote real quick. I know it was in Mary Poppins, I think, that we that I shared it the first time. It'd be perfect for you to put it on our website. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it would. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't have it here. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, I'll try and do that. I'll try, I'll try and put it on the website. <laughs> no need. <laughs> um, oh, man, I had such aspirations for that website. But, you know, it's one of those things. Just never, it never, it, it started to come to fruition. But You put never... too much pressure on yourself, Josh. That's right. And I, I think it's really important. <laughs> That you take the pressure off. That's what I've done since uh, uh, most 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 of all the run of this this podcast. I've, I've taken the pressure off. Was Hercules ever like, "Yo, I don't want to fight Cerberus"? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a rhyme scene! Like that's. I mean, that's where. That's true. Uh, that's, uh, you you that's that's where you hear Miranda in that song. I think is oh, is okay. how intricate the rhyme scheme is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really interesting one because it's like, uh, oh, I forget the the language for this stuff again, but it's like the, um, what's the, it's not an I am, it's the other one. The, I mean, I know there's more than just I am in another Are one. Are you talking about trochies? Yes, it's a trochee, right? That, that, that song is written in a trochee. So it's all, you know, all those rhymes are on trochies, huh. um, which is just kind of unusual and fun. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's obviously a, you know, very talented lyricist. What a stupid thing to say. Sorry. (laughs) I don't don't know. (laughs) I find that song kind of annoying, but I also recognize, I I also recognize how, how um, sprightly, let's say the, uh, the rhyme work is in that song. It's, Mm. it's, it's good. It actually feels very like Stephen Sondheim in the way the uh, the rhymes work, which I know um, Miranda, like all right-thinking Broadway people, loves Stephen Sondheim, so that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure Sondheim has some sort of a trokey um, written song also. That oh, knows. I'm he. I don't know how much you know Sondheim, but he he would do things like he would he would play games with it. He would set rules for himself. You can see why I like him. Mm-hmm. He would set rules for himself, and then he would write the whole show with those rules. So he has a show called A Little Night Music, where every song is a waltz. Mm-hmm. But you don't notice it unless you know it because it's, they're they're all still very varied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very thematic for our show here, you know the 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 way constraints can make great art. Right, so. that's something we've talked about. I mean, I think 
I don't know if it was from the very beginning, but that, that's something that's come up a lot on here. Yeah. So. Yeah, that one's a great line. Um, wait, there's another one in uh, uh, What Else Can I Do? Uh, it rhymes. He rhymes something with carnivorous. <laughs> Careful, they're carnivorous. <laughs> it's like, what a, what a, what a master of lyricist. Really fun. Can I deliver us a river of sundew? Careful, it's carnivorous. A little just won't do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So fun. <clears throat> Very fun. Um, yeah. I wonder what he's working on now. I don't even know. Do you know? He, I think he's doing, doing the follow-up to Hamilton. I think he's doing a new Broadway show, but I don't oh, really? know anything about it. Oh, okay. I'm sure he was glad to put that aside for a little while. To I'm not, sure. You know what I mean? How do you follow something like that up? Well, now he doesn't exactly have to. Right. And, I mean, yeah, following it up with uh, Moana and uh, Encanto soundtracks was pretty good <laughs> right but, but pretty, that's something so different pretty or, good. I mean, it's fairly different yes it is different it's crazy in the like behind the scenes stuff for this movie like he's sitting in front of a the the plaque for um hamilton being um certified seven times platinum it's just like oh my crazy. gosh like that is wow <laughs> you're right like talk about uh i think i wondered actually i don't i don't want to uh um get into the, the therapy language to irritate you. And I definitely don't want to um, psychoanalyze Lin-Manuel and I don't know anything about him, but like there is a little bit of like, uh, you're more than, you're more than your gift <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> and I, wonder, uh-huh. I wonder if he was kind of feeling that like, you know, you it, to become so well known for a thing. Um, and he's obviously very gifted. Um, I wonder if he was starting to feel like he was only his gift, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, and so he kind of needed that that self uh, um, self talk of you're more than your death, <laughs> you know, you're you're still you're still all right, you know. That would make sense to me. Yeah. How do you know how much say he had in like the direction of the movie? Did they write the movie and then have him write the soundtrack, or did he help develop the movie? I think in the modern. Disney era and by modern I mean gosh going back to like Aladdin <laughs> you know when um uh what's his name Howard Howard Ashman right yeah like, Ashman. I, I think when he kind of came in and reshaped the studio to, to start doing these big musicals I think since that time the lyricists have had a lot of say in the story probably some more than others you know like I don't know how much Phil Collins had <laughs> say in Tarzan <laughs> um but, uh, yeah, the the sense that I got um, from watching some of the behind-the-scenes stuff was that Lin-Manuel Miranda was very involved, you know, from the get-go on this one. And on Moana as well. Like, they really see the songs as part of the script, you know. That makes sense. So he doesn't get a story writing credit, so obviously it's not the same, at least, you know, I don't know how credits work either um in in these movies i'm sure there's a lot of lawyer things that have to go on and you know as far as like what credit you get where and how much you know percentages you get and all that sort of stuff so i don't know when it crosses over into actual an actual story writing credit but i do think the songs come in very very early that makes sense yeah and these um these songs are not going to be easily turned into a uh pop song at the end right i guess the 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 two butterflies i I can't say that word in spanish um the two butterflies song could could be pretty easily removed from the movie and 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 treated as a pop single yeah yeah which they kind of do they do the spanish version during the movie and then the english version over the credits right you i guess what you don't have in this movie is just the kind of generic love song like like a whole new world Right. Or something like that. I mean, A Whole New World is a beautiful song, and it works really well in Aladdin. This isn't a criticism of it, but it's it's a movie. It's a song that could have appeared in almost any movie, whereas all the all the lyrics in, in Canto, other than maybe The Two Butterflies, 
uh, all of them are so hyper specific and and topical to what the movie what's going on in the movie that I'm not sure they would even make any sense um, in any other scenario. Yeah, that's a good point. They're not. Uh... Yeah, I'm trying to think which other of those songs like um, what's the one from Beauty and the Beast? Beauty. Um... Something there. Yeah. Or Beauty or, or Beauty and the Beast. I the, mean, the I one... assume you would remember that the song Beauty and the Beast is from Beauty and the Beast. Yes, but I'm I'm saying I couldn't remember I can't remember the titles of the songs, but the one that the one that did become a pop hit when we were kids when Beauty and the Beast was out and it was a it pop was Beauty hit. and the Beast. Yeah, and the, so that one's relatively specific too. Celine right? Dion and Peebo Bryson, I think. Yeah, or are the lyrics not relatively specific on that one? I don't know. I'm sure this is a very interesting. I mean, they're not they're right not now. specific. <laughs> they're not specific the way the the family madrigal is is specific, right? Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Or or the way for that I matter. I think that surface. one probably feels specific because like the imagery of of it, of um them coming together, uh you know it's over kind of a montage sequence during Beauty and the Beast, right? Like they're in the snow and they're like I don't know doing whatever um other stuff um and then and then they dance, you know, like it's uh. So when I hear the song, I just kind of see all those scenes automatically in my head. But I think you're right that the lyrics aren't very specific. To that. They're really not. I mean, other than the phrase, I'm looking at them right now. Other than the phrase Beauty and the Beast, tale as old as time, true as it can be, barely even friends, then somebody bends unexpectedly. Like that describes every romantic comedy ever. Right. Yeah. But when you say it, I see uh, Belle throwing a snowball at Beast. <laughs> right, right. Well, and again, the title is Beauty and the Beast, which does add some specificity to it, to be fair. And and also, like, Be- Beauty and the Beast has Be Our Guest, which is hyper-specific, Gaston, which is hyper-specific, Belle, which is hyper-specific. So, I mean, maybe I'm talking out of my blood here. I don't know. I mean, did did any of these? I mean, I stopped listening to the radio. So, well, I, I guess the whole world stopped listening to the radio. Right. I know. I know. We don't talk about Bruno was very high on Spotify at some point. Like it was like, you know, top. But it's scene. it's the version from the movie. It's not like, it's not like Celine Dion and um, Peebo Bryson and friends put together yeah. a, put together an adult contemporary version of. Wouldn't you like to hear we don't that? Talk about, oh, I would <laughs> love to hear that. <laughs> How would do it have that, that like? Would it have that 1993 electric piano that yeah. that uh, <laughs> was on all of those pop versions of Disney hits? You know the one I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. How do we it's make? It's got this like up? got like a sustain on it, so it sounds like uh, it sounds like pixie dust or something falling off the keys every time you <laughs> press them. <laughs> oh man. Surely there's some AI we can program to make that <laughs> song great. for us. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. If there isn't, there will be by the time the, the show airs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it occurs to me, I don't know who Peebo Bryson is, besides that he duetted with Celine Dion on those Disney uh, adult contemporary songs. Yeah, neither do I. Neither do I. Well, should we talk about something other than the music? Uh, maybe, yeah. I mean, the, I, to me, the mu- the music so dominates this movie. Although, uh, you kind of touched on it. The animation sequences. So, in a lot of these movies, the the standout animation sequence is during a song, you know? And I feel like uh, they really, for this movie, um, they did it <laughs> with, like, every song. It's, like, really standout animation-wise, you know? Yeah. The choreography, the dances um yeah just it uh and then the the imaginativeness that you mentioned you know like um uh yeah with the with the flowers and um what else can i do and uh in surface pressure you know it gets very um not not quite surreal a little surreal i guess with the dancing donkeys and stuff is that still surrealism i don't know semi-surrealism i don't know yeah semi-surreal surreal yeah um or like i mean yeah i even even with your your very valid criticism of of just making all these like uh cliches 
um, uh, literal. Literal, yes, thank you. Um, it still works really well as, a, as an animation sequence, you know. Yeah, I, no, that's true. Yeah. So. Yeah, really, uh, all, all of that stuff is really well done. Yeah. And and like I said, most of the voice acting I thought was very good. The the really the only person I didn't think was very good was Jessica Darrow as Louisa. Mm. I, I thought I I it almost seemed like she wasn't an actor or something. Um, a lot of her stuff was so over the top. Yeah. But I looked her up. She's an actress. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, when she's <laughs> when she's losing her powers, <laughs> she's just like sobbing and. Um... And she she walks out of the room and says, "I'm a loser," and it's like it's sad it's it's sad but it's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. What do you think of Leguizamo as uh, Bruno? Uh, pretty great. I, I, Bruno's my favorite character in this in this thing. I I, I really like him. I have a low really Leguizamo tolerance. Yeah, he's he's fine in this movie. I, there's not too much of him, so that's good. If if he were in half the movie, I think, um, I think it would be too much Leguizamo for me. Yeah, and and you know it, it works. You need you need someone who's kind of wired and skittish, and that's pretty much what Leguizamo does. Yep. No, I think he's great <laughs> when he's like, I mean, he delivers the needed wisdom at the right time. You know, he's like, you're missing the point. It's not about her. It's about you. You know, like that's that's really good. And then uh, and then he's like alone. Goodbye. <laughs> you know? and he's like hiding behind the plant. <laughs> so it's like he's like not like he delivers the wisdom, but he's not willing to like take the wisdom himself. You know, he's not willing to take the steps that are needed. But that's OK. <laughs> um, Stephanie Beatrice, oh. who plays Mirabelle, is, I think, really good. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, she carries this movie really well. I don't yeah. think I had ever seen her anything. She's in Brooklyn Nine Nine, I think. Yeah, as usual, I'm like really unfamiliar with like <laughs> everything everybody else is in because I pretty much only watch Disney movies at this point. So, <clears throat> but Isabella must be a first in that she is. Uh, a beautiful character who is actually less beautiful than the actress who plays her, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a great, like, yeah, maybe we should just talk about the characters for a little bit. Isabella is, is great too. Like, you know, you, they I feel like the movie does a good job because you only see her at first. You only see her through Mirabelle's well, I guess the whole time you only see her through Mirabelle's eyes, but like Mirabelle comes awake to the fact that, um, you know, she feels trapped inside this perfection, just like everybody else does, you know? And I feel like it's, it's a nice twist. Like it's not something that you, that I expected at least, you know, um, I, I, I bought into it that she yeah. was the perfect golden child, you know? Yeah. So that, so that when it turned, I mean, this is we're we're in the no villain period. Right. And, and so, in in a in a different movie, she might have been the villain, mm-hmm. um, but instead she's she's a human being just like her sister is, and that's nice. I, like, it's a, it's a nice touch, and it's nice that like part of what she has to do to save the family is to reconcile with her sister, because it would have been easy to make it where she's saving the family in the abstract, and you know the fact is like her sister is part of the family. Yeah. And so to save the family, like you have to actually love the family, which you're not doing if you hate a member of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very specific. And it's very like, yeah, I just I really like it. I like that whole sequence where, you know, she she realizes um, that she has to hug her sister and she hates it. Like she has no desire to do that, you know, and her like (laughs) she can't even apologize. Well, you know, Um, like you really see. Um, you really see the cracks in the family throughout the movie, especially once you know, like, that's what this is. And you've watched, like, if you watch it more than once, you can really see them, them snipe, like different members of the family kind of sniping at each other throughout, but um, in subtle ways. But 
you know, it's not like um, Mirabelle is is immune to all that. You know, she's part of it. And like all of her little like looks um, to Isabel, like the way she rolls her eyes and stuff at her, like it's just. Yeah, I, I have four daughters. I, I know what it looks like when sisters fight. <laughs> it's very accurate. <laughs> and my daughters love it, too. Like, they just they think it's so funny, you know. Um, Which one of your daughters is the Isabel? I'm just kidding. <laughs> what I liked about the scene with her needing to hug her is that um, she wasn't allowed to do it until they actually had the moment of connection mm-hmm. so she she wants to hug her just to get it over with so that she can do this thing she supposedly needs to do to save the family and then she like awakens something in isabella you know isabella is for the first time ever apparently able to talk about her feelings and then she tries to hug her then but it's not going to be she's not going to be allowed to do it until isabella actually says all the things she needs to say um, at which point, you know, they can actually hug and it actually means what it needs to mean. I thought that was a I thought that was a nice detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, she wants to do it right from the begin from the get go. You know, she's saying, "Good talk, bring it in, bring it in." <laughs> you know, like it's so catchy, but like you're right, like that's right at the beginning of the song. It's before before they've even had a chance to actually do anything. So, yeah, well said. Let's see what other characters do we want to talk about. Her father with his horrifying <laughs> bee sings. Yeah. Who we haven't talked about is uh, Abuela. <laughs> kind of an important character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's more than a minor role. Let's be clear. Abuela runs the show, right? Right. How yeah, much do you think she deserved the way this movie treated her? Like, is she actually the control freak that we're supposed to believe she is? To me, it came a little bit out of nowhere when that was revealed about her. Maybe I'm just a control freak. <laughs> That's funny. No, I do think I, I, uh, I think the the benefit of having kids that really like this movie and rewatching it several times. Right. You've I seen think, it way more times than I, I have. I think you start to see it. So like, um, you know, she's constantly nagging. Um, uh, Pia, is that her name? <laughs> What's her name? The, the old, the, her oldest daughter. Right. Um, the, 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 one one the, the one with the storm. Right. Like she's constantly nagging her Peppa. about, Oh, Peppa. Yeah. About not, um, not having the the weather right and uh you know um uh mirabelle's mom says you know s- steps her aside at one point and says don't be so hard on mirabelle you know and uh there's the the moment when um when abuela is it's during one of the songs um but she's like walking down the hallway and everybody like is trying to like straighten up and like be seen by her and uh, she's just ignoring them all, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think it is there, you know. Um, yeah, it is there, but it is subtle, which I think is 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 a is a point in favor for this movie, you know. Yeah, it, it, yeah it, no, that's it, true. The fact it, that the fact that you don't notice it if you're not paying attention. Yeah, it re, it rewards the rewatching, you know. So I think I think it's a point in favor of the movie. But I yeah I do and I do think. Um, it, it makes sense in some ways too, like that she would, you know, feel like, um, you know, it's, it's almost like a keeping up appearances thing, like gone, gone really, really bad, you know, like she's, she's feeling like, you know, the, this, this thing came to us to protect our, this whole village and we have to do it, you know, like we have to be the, we have to be the ones all the time that are, that are perfect. Um, and so she's misunderstanding the gift in a lot of ways. Um, but I can see how that would filter down into all of her kids and even her grandkids. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's fair. I like that really, as soon as she realizes what she's done, she apologizes for it. I mean, they have the big fight, but she comes around and she, you know, like they're like you say, it's a movie full of grace. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, and 
and you're right that it's, that we're in the villainous or the the villain less not villainous <laughs> the villain less uh you know era of disney um so if she was a villain she would double down on her actions you know because that's what the villains always do when they're confronted with it but this is how she is not a villain is that when she's confronted with how she's been wrong she accepts it and everything works out she gets baptized <laughs> but she never does get a gift yeah i guess the house is her gift i guess yeah, that's that's kind of the way I read it, that the house has some sort of special relationship with her. Yeah. And it's it almost seems like, um, you know, if you if you stretch, this might be a stretch is what I'm trying to say. This might be a stretch, but it's almost like there's there's going to be a passing on like Mirabelle will eventually be the new matriarch of this family because Mirabelle's also got the connection with the house, seems to have the connection with the house, you know, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Although it also seems like the, you know, by the end, the house is different because the whole family has contributed to it now. And it's not just this, um, you know, living up to expectations thing or whatever. Is it clear at the end of the movie that they all got their powers back? Um, yes, I think so. Do we see any of them actually use their powers after? Oh, that's a good question. Because I don't I don't remember. I I. I You've seen it more times than I have. I think there is, because I think Louisa does something and then she gets tossed into the hammock. But she lifts something heavy and then she gets tossed into the hammock. And then I think I think uh Yeah, I think Isabella's probably doing something with flowers. I'd have to yeah, it's a good question. I'd have to I'd have to watch and pay very close attention right at the end. But I think they do get their powers back at the end. So does that undo it for you? No. The no, theme of it? it, it no, it, it doesn't. I, I I could go either way with that. I mean, they, they learn that they're more than their gifts, like they're, like they're supposed to, right? But that doesn't mean they're not their gifts. Yeah. And it does seem that the, the townspeople are dependent in some way on them. Although also, I mean, obviously, to me, the most moving part of the movie is when the, when the house is broken and the townspeople come to fix it. Yeah, we don't have the gifts, but we are many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true, you know, many hands make the light work, make the work light. So. And, and then the, the magic is restored, even though there's nobody there who's magic anymore. Because mm -hmm. at least the house is, uh, is still magic. Yeah. I think it holds together pretty well. Like I said, I don't think that's perfect. I think there's there's probably a better story that could be told, um, you know, with more time or a different medium or, or whatever, you know, or some of those, you know, un, un, the unclearness of where exactly this magic is coming from and why and, and how it all works, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I still stand by my earlier assessment. Like, it it, it works despite all that. So... For me, at all, least. Right. all right. I've got a wild take that I just came up with. All right, I love this. So let's <laughs> let's see what we can do with it. The movie this is most like is Meet the Robinsons. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, they they both involve uh, a large family, right? Like a huge frenetic family. Mm -hmm. Hang on. So that that's as far as I've gone, but I want to see if I can actually piece this together so you've you've got someone who just desperately wants to be part of something they're not quite part of uh, yep. what's the bowler hat guy's real name mike uh he has some ridiculous name yeah it's true and everybody calls him uh what's everybody call I, i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to wikipedia while you while you're thinking this through right right but but he's he's kind of not quite in the Mirabelle role, right? And and because of that, he manages to break everything. Mm -hmm. um, although, gosh, it's kind of dark in that movie. They, they almost make him not exist. <laughs> it's, right. it's how they solve that instead of teaching him to accept himself or whatever. Instead of making him the therapist, which is what happens with Mirabelle. 
Yeah. Talking to Mirabelle makes everybody else feel better about their powers. Mm-hmm. Goob, Michael Goob. Goob, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Huh. Although but it's interesting no- you went there because I was thinking, um, uh, um, Ro- you know, Robinson himself. What, what's what's the kid's name? The main character kid. Uh, oh, Lewis, Lewis, Lewis. Right? Lewis also desperately wants to be part of this family, you know, and and isn't. Um, and then finds out he's actually the most important member of the family. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that I thought you were going to go there, and then you went with Goob instead. So, yeah, I think I think Lewis is 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 a close proximity to Mirabelle there. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, you feel, you feel bad for him at the beginning, and it turns out he's totally central. Yeah. I don't know that I can go much further than that. I was just mostly thinking about the the number of characters in this movie. Yeah, it's, it's it, actually it is, hard to keep track of them. Yeah. <laughs> so many kids in this house. <laughs> I kind of wish we could have gone into some of the other rooms to see what their interior worlds were like. Right, yeah. That, that's that's funny. That's one of the things my kids always say, too. Like, I wonder what their room is like. And you I should think encourage your kids to write fan fiction. Uh, well, no, I'm, nobody should encourage anybody to write fan fiction. <laughs> my, my kids actually, they do write fan fiction. Um, uh, not for Disney movies, usually. Maybe I should encourage them more towards Disney movies. Um, Long-time listeners of the Christian Humanist podcast might remember that I wrote Back to the Future fan fiction. <laughs> Which is awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really awesome. I, I didn't write Back to the Future fan fiction, but I did write a short story that borrowed elements very heavily from Back to the Future. I don't you know just ripped it off. Yeah. I wrote a total ripoff novel when I was like 11 of The Indian in the Cupboard. Do you remember that movie? Oh, that, yeah. That I, book? yeah. Yeah, I really liked those books as a kid. I, 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 read, them, I read them as an adult, and they didn't hold up quite as well. But <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> I mean, they're not bad. They're, yeah, there's There are worse things. There are things that held up worse. But, yeah. I was I remember being really excited about like introducing them to my kids because it was something I enjoyed so much and then I was kinda like, uh, oh, they're not as they're not really that it's not. <laughs> they're fine. They're fine. <laughs> but yes, as a kid, oh man, that was a world I definitely wanted to live in was the Indian in the covered world. And, and and I can I can see how seeing this movie as a kid would do the same thing. All those all those doors and and, and again it part of it is just that there are clearly they, they clearly devised a Bible for this movie. Like there's clearly rules to the metaphysical universe and they mm-hmm. don't tell us what they are. Yeah. But the universe kind of holds together with them, which is mm-hmm. I, I think the way to do it. Yeah. I think you might have talked me into liking this movie more than I liked it. Yes. That's the, one of the goals of this of the show, right? Is uh, enrich the viewing experience. That's true. <laughs> I feel like I feel like normally we talk each other out of liking things. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't always succeed at our goals, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think uh, my hot take at the time on Meet the Robinsons was that it's Alice in Wonderland. So now I'm trying to figure out if this is Alice in Wonderland. Uh, Maybe just any movie with a large cast is the same. Maybe. I mean, it, it is true. There's not a lot of Disney movies with really large casts. Well, I mean, you somebody's going to have to design all the characters, right? Like it would be, I'm sure it's expensive to have 50 characters mm-hmm. or however many there are in Meet the Robinsons. There's not as many here. Right. Um, yeah. There may be. It may be pretty equivalent. I think it's I think it's a good balance in this movie. You're right. It's it's a little hard to keep track of. They they do a couple things to help you. You know, like the colors um, of the of the one side of the family are all like golds and yellows, and the other fam the other side of the family are all like this like bluish greens. You know, mm. um, and stuff like that. So I mean, it, they do they do little little things to help you do it, help you figure it out who belongs where. But it is true, like. Um, on the on a first viewing, especially, it's hard to keep track of who everybody is and what their what their powers are and stuff. You you very much feel like those kids at the beginning, you know, we're um, like trying to keep it all together. Yeah, the song is not actually super helpful. Yeah, <laughs> well, it is and it isn't, right? Like it does, 
introduce you to everybody um, and give you give you a definite feel for the world. And it introduces that first major problem of the movie that um, Mirabelle herself doesn't have a have a power, you know. Um, but yeah, that's it. Does take uh, kind of multiple multiple watches. I, I feel like to get it all in. Not a bad thing. No. You know who that we have. Oh, go sorry. Ahead. No, go I was ahead. just going to say that uh, meet meet the that meet the Robinsons opening song, <laughs> whatever it is. Meet the meet the Madrigals um, uh, has one of my favorite scenes in that movie when they first ask her about um, her powers and the the little band on the side like throws her the accordion and she's like juggling it, but like the the like pans to like the little band and they're like all like. Uh, they have these like just amazing looks on their faces. <laughs> like they're like so anticipating, like what's she gonna do? What's she gonna say? It's re- like really good. I really like. I don't know. But you I also get I, the kid who drinks the coffee. Yes. Who's my yeah. wife's favorite character in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> That's why coffee is for grownups. <laughs> we haven't talked about Alan Tudyk as the toucan. Oh yeah. appearing in every disney movie since what was the first one he was in i forget i think this is i think this is his 10th in a row though so what was movie number 50 uh it was tangled is that the first one he was in i don't know i don't remember him being in tangled but there were a lot of people in tangled yeah i don't know i don't remember when we first started talking about him but anyway, he's he's been in a lot of Disney movies. Wreck It Ralph. Uh, he's not entangled. Wreck It Ralph is his first one. Oh, okay. Um, I read that they had him doing this noise, and he found out that the noise they were having him doing was not a toucan, but parrot, because toucans and parrots. You know, don't sound anything alike because they're two totally different birds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he went and like spent time with toucans to learn how they actually talk and uh, did a toucan voice instead of a parrot voice. Well, good on him. Toucans are so cool. They are very cool. Have they're you seen like weird. there's a bunch of YouTube videos of this guy who has a pet toucan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I might have to check that out. Yeah. If you're into toucans, they look like they're are a different bird wearing a fake bill they do. <laughs> so i i appreciated seeing a toucan in this movie does he have a he doesn't have a name right the animal sidekicks don't have names in this because i assume they do have names and we don't know them because we can't speak to the animals we don't have the power of heart that's right <laughs> to return to our captain planet reference from a few months ago oh man the things i can count on you for michael are captain planet references and Loving birds. You're yeah, bird a, content. Real bird guy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that goes all the way back to, like, Dumbo. I was excited in Dumbo for you to talk about the crows. I do love so. crows. So. There's a giant crow that um, that must nest or, I, I, I don't know, like, it always greets me at Lowe's. <laughs> it's a giant crow that, like, sits up at the top of Lowe's. And Have we talked it. about how they can tell human faces apart? Yes. <laughs> he, he actually might be greeting you. That's <laughs> true. Although I've never fed him, so I don't know. They, they hold a grudge, Josh. Well, I've never like not fed him either. Maybe I should maybe I should start bringing treats for the crew. We have we have four or five of them who hang out at the school, and when I pass them in the morning, when, once the kids get there, you know they hide. But when I pass them in the morning when it's quiet, I always say, "Hey, fellas, <laughs> I want them to know that at the very least, I mean them no harm." Yeah. Well, let me let me share one more favorite scene from this movie before when she goes in between the walls with Bruno. And there's that great chase scene, and then she falls into the the mist, and then he falls into the mist, and then the rat appears, and she reacts exactly like I would react in that situation, and she screams and drops him. Oh man, that is the best. That is that is really the best, best moment in the movie, for sure. There's a lot of like little details. It's really a very well put together movie. Yeah. Okay, and um, so. You know, you and I are huge Mary Blair fans. I was wondering, 
Did you watch the end credits sequence? They do seem kind of Mary Blair-ish, don't they? Yeah, they do. And I was wondering if that was on purpose because of, you know, she had such a big role in those other South American films. I couldn't find anything. I mean, I, I, my, my internet queries apparently were not right or specific enough or nobody else has noticed it maybe we are maybe we really are what i said at the beginning the only podcast who would be willing to to go there but they they felt a little mary blairish to me i thought i thought that was a nice homage by someone within disney if in fact it is an homage and not just my wishful thinking that they would have done it so the movie takes place in the mary blair era right because the um i was reading about this the um the Thousand Days War, which is where Pedro, is that his name? The mm-hmm. Abuelo, where, where he dies, is like 1897 to 1899 or 1900. Mm-hmm. And then they make a reference to him dying 50 years ago. So so like you, you are talking about right smack in the middle of of when Mary Blair was animating Disney pictures. Mm. So I, I wonder if I wonder if that's what they were going for with the end credits, rather than something specifically about Solidos Amigas. Yeah. Whether it was just like, oh, you know, this is this is this era, so let's put in some Mary Blair stuff. Or maybe they just recognize like everybody else that Mary Blair's art is is beautiful and charming. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe a little of both, but or just a nice coincidence. I don't know, but I I I felt like we we should bring it up. <laughs> so there we have. We brought it up. <laughs> I, I should have gone back and watched Salados Amigos again. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know that I'm ever going to watch Salados Amigos again. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we'll get to all that two months from now when we talk about what the best ones and the worst ones and all that stuff are. That's right. Yeah, we'll have to. <laughs> Between then and now, you have to rewatch all of them. You have to like I'm... watch, watch, watch one a day. Like there's sixty of them, so if you watch one a day for the next two months, you'll be ready. <laughs> By the time I get to number sixty, I'd have to go. I'd forgotten everything that came before. <laughs> I have to watch them again. Yeah. Maybe I need to watch three or four a day. Yeah. There you go. You could watch them. Watch them all twice between now and then. But we're not there yet. Next month, the latest, the last, the final is not the final. <laughs> will there ever be a final? That's a good. Uh, that that'll be eventually. A the sun will burn out. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we should make a prediction for what year the final Disney animated movie will 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 air. Um, there's some convergence that's got to happen at some point between live action and 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 animated films where it'll just it'll it'll become so meaningless a term <laughs> that they'll stop making it. So anyway. The AI will write the movie. Yes. Animate it. <laughs> and watch it. <laughs> Perfect. The rest of us can be freed up to do other things like uh uh like program AIs. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure they can get the AI to program itself now. That's doesn't chat, doesn't chat GPT replace programmers as well oh, as everybody yeah, else? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Anyway, Strange World. I know nothing about this movie except it has a gay protagonist and that it's supposedly bad. And let me tell you, if it has the first gay protagonist and it has a reputation for being bad, it must be terrible. <laughs> All right. Well, that's something to look forward to. Speaking of Meet the Robinsons, though, it's the it's uh, the one of the writers of Meet the Robinsons. It's, oh, is that true? Yeah, that directed it. So. It's like an adventure movie, right? I, like I really don't know anything about it. Yeah, it's uh, I haven't I've have not seen it yet, but yes, it is some sort of uh, sci-fi adventure film, um, and it is uh, directed by Don Hall, who is a I mean he's been with Disney since Tarzan. And uh, he was the, let's see, on on Meet the Robinson, he did screenplay and head of story. And he was also the voice of the coach <laughs> in Meet the Robinson. Um, but this is his, he directed Winnie the Pooh, which neither of us loved. Uh, he directed Big Hero 6, which I think we both liked, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he was co-director on the live action Moana, which we don't talk about. No, no, no. Um, he directed Raya and the Last Dragon, which I think we both liked. Is that right? So, 
He's, yeah, I think I like he's, he's more hit than miss. So I was I was looking forward to it. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, maybe it's not bad. And I, I don't I, I couldn't point to a specific place where I heard that it was bad. That's just my impression. Yeah, I haven't uh, heard or seen a lot about it, so I don't know how how much it was like in the culture. You know, like in Kanto. But, but isn't before... that bizarre? Like it's their first movie with an openly gay protagonist. You would think that you would have you would hear about it everywhere. Yeah. So yeah, that makes me think it's maybe like you're you're saying not as good, but I I don't know. Like I remember like with Encanto, you know, it was we don't talk about Bruno was everywhere. Even before I saw the movie, there was all these references to Bruno and I was like I need to watch this movie before it gets like spoiled for me, which obviously it wasn't going to get spoiled for me, but like, you know, I just I I felt like I needed to be in the know. Um So, yeah, that was like and then obviously Frozen had its big cultural moment with Let It Go, you know. So it's not like every movie has these big cultural moments in them. Right, so right. It, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but I, I just haven't seen a lot of hype around it. So. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't either. I, like I said, I don't know anything about the plot or anything else. So, well, yeah. I guess we'll Although, find out soon. In fairness to the movie, and as people have probably noticed as we've as as this show has gone on, I've withdrawn more and more from culture. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, me too. So it could be me. <laughs> me too. Yeah, I uh, not just culture, news, everything. Yeah. Yep. Me too. I'm. You know what? I'm so much happier. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah, but I yeah look forward to uh talking to you about it. And then they have they have announced the next one called oh yeah wish i think is what it's called uh that's all i know about it and yeah it doesn't even have a wikipedia page yeah i think it's i think it's just announced is all that it's been so anyway that'll be next month exciting all right our press liaison is kristen philippic we're on the old interwebs (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at before they were dot live you know what i'm gonna do in a, man, in a manner of speaking we're on the internet interwebs i'm I'm gonna at least go put that quote up on there that i was talking about I'm, I'm you gonna, should just wipe everything else off the website <laughs> and, and just have that quote, that quote. <laughs> i'll do it i'll do it i mean i'll still make the rest of the site available i'll do it kind of like remember when they used to have those like flash pages uh-huh. like when you get to a site and have that like special like <laughs> flash thing so i'll make the opening thing just that quote and then like a continue to the site button so uh yeah. i can't wait go check it out before they were dot live also christianhumanist.org uh which is updated more frequently um please help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at before they were live at gmail.com and also i want to encourage you to set your podcast player dials to the christian humanist radio network where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending the time with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Joshua Altman-Chauffer. Remember, you have nothing to prove.